Hi, my name is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Before we start with the podcast, I have a few things that I'd like to mention. The first is that we've set up a special email address where listeners of our podcast can send in questions related to Agile, Agile transformation, basically anything about Agile at all. Just send your question to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it in text form, you can send a WAV file or any kind of audio recording of yourself asking the question, even video would be okay. What we're going to do is take the questions that we get, and in a future podcast, I will be joined by a few of our enterprise transformation consultants. We'll talk about your question, we'll talk about some possible solutions, some ideas, some things you might try when you get back to work, so that if you've got something that's going well, you can make it go better, and if you've got something that's not going well, we'll give you some suggestions or strategies for things you might try to change to make it go a little more smoothly. So again, any question about Agile or Agile transformation, just send it to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it as text, you can send it as an audio file, or you can send video, whatever's easier for you. We just like to get a lot of questions from our listeners so we can start to incorporate that into the podcast that we've been doing. Again, soundnotes at leadingagile.com. The second thing I want to mention is we've set up a special discount code for podcast listeners who are interested in taking one of our CSM or CSPO classes. You can find a list of all our upcoming classes by going to leadingagile.com training. We're currently doing classes in Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and San Jose. So just go to leadingagile.com training, find a class you'd like to take, and enter the discount code SOUNDNOTES to receive 10% off the list price. Now, onto the podcast. Hi, welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. This is Dave Pryor, and today I've got Tim Wise, who's taken some time, carved some time out of his busy Friday afternoon, and we are going to talk about some things around the subject of folks who kind of came to Agile in the beginning and the folks that are kind of finding their way there now, sort of maybe a little on the tail end of arriving at the party. But Tim, thank you for taking some time out of the afternoon. Yeah, my pleasure, Dave. And and things are going well for you? Busy with the clients? Everything's going good? Yeah, actually, I'm, I've been on a bit of a three-week hiatus. I'm going back. Uh, the hiatus was so I could welcome my my new son into the world. Your new team uh, member. Yeah, my new team member. He'll he'll be uh, joining the Wise family, and and uh, it's my third son. So cool. Uh, and I'm done. So that's it. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, so. So one of the things, so you and I were kind of getting ready for the call. One of the things, the, the topics that came up, I'm going to kind of try to introduce by mentioning a conversation I had with Dennis Stevens the other day. So Dennis and I were talking about bimodal. And one of the things that I was saying in a, in a blog post was that there was this period where um, everybody was saying you had to go all the way, you know, 100% just switch everything to Agile. Um, and Dennis was saying, you know, that's not really what was happening. And the more we talked about it, we got into this conversation about that it was really the agilists who were saying, <laughs> you've got to yeah. take the whole organization. And the rest of the people were kind of like standing there going, yeah, whatever. Um, but it, it, it kind of opened up something you and I were talking about where there's there's been different groups that have kind of crossed the, the chasm, if you want to use that phrasing for agile. There's the folks that got there in the very beginning um, and then there's the folks that are still sort of finding their way into this conversation. I think on the consulting side and, and the thought leader side, a lot of people say, well, we've done this, we've solved that, thinking that maybe they've personally solved it, but maybe the rest of the universe is a little bit not quite there yet. Right, and maybe they need a, a little help of jumping ahead, you know, where they may. Um, you know, I was listening to... Uh, uh, someone talk about the Dreyfus model and 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 whatnot of and how how people learn and how people execute. Um, so 
kind of helping them jump up that model a little bit quicker since we've had years of experience and, and we've been there and lived it before. Uh, you know, how can we help each other kind of jump up a little bit higher? But don't you think in Agile there's a tendency for the people that were sort of the early adopters who've kind of figured a lot of stuff out, maybe wanting to, they want to move on to other problems. They're looking at all the old companies and you poor bastards, like this has been figured out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I have that even with project. I was talking to somebody yesterday who was like, I have a project. I don't know what to do. I'm like, really? That's your question? Like this has been solved for years and years and years, even before right. Agile. Yeah, um, and it's and it and it can be a little bit, um, you know, it can try your patience at times. Uh, there's there's certainly, but if you kind of approach it from that different angle of, well, you're you're still helping people along the way, helping them get to where they need to go. Um, at one point in time, I was the guy sitting on the other end of the table, you know, uh, type of approach. Uh, so it's uh, for me, it's it's more about helping them. And understanding that I was once just like them hearing story points for the first time and going, what the heck is that? You know, and uh, a bunch of nonsense for people who yeah. won't estimate anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But this, so it's, I, this is a big deal. I mean, for people like even in the classes, people that once they find their way to it and they see like this is worth trying, everybody who doesn't see that becomes an irritant to them. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's a very real spot for, for many people, especially, but I would, I would also say that they are, you know, seeing that light for the very first time and something's clicking, but they haven't mastered that art yet. So one of the things that, uh, that I think is masterful is taking your time and showing patience with other people and being more of a change agent so that you can get them up to where they need to be. Um, because otherwise, I mean, you're, you're just kind of shouting, shouting to the rafters, but no one's really hearing you. You know, you're the only one with, with any, um, with any moxie in the organization and, and really trying to throw your weight around. Um, and it, and it'll fall on deaf ears real quick. So you've, you've kind of got to, uh, lead people, uh, to the water, so to speak. So you become sort of this like agile bodhisattva where you're kind of the one who's you've seen the way and now you're going to hang out and, and help the other people find their way to it. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of, you do have to be that guide. Um, because other, otherwise it's, it's just too easy to fall back. Um, especially if someone's not really listening to you, too uh, easy, overall. Too easy in, in what respect just to follow the judgmental side of things. And- uh, yeah. Or just to fall. I think you and Mike were talking on one of our former podcasts about, um, you know, it's, it's really easy for people to, to go back to their old ways. I believe you were, you were saying, uh, something to the effect of, well, once they, once they get into a, an emergency situation, then it's all too easy to fall back into the trap of, of not old habits, not doing sprints. And now the cadence is gone and you're not planning and you have to kind of reset at that stage. That's a, that's kind of a beginning, um, a beginning type of mindset where you're, where you're, uh, more apt to put the blame on, say, the methodology like Scrum or Kanban or, or whatever you're using. Yeah. Um, just to put it somewhere, right? Um, and not tackling the real issue that's that's maybe waiting behind the wings a little bit. So I want to ask you a coaching question about that because I actually had a situation recently where I'm, I'm working with a group of people in a class and that they're convinced that, you know, what you're saying can't work here. No way that's going to happen. And 
I'm sitting there thinking, it, it can. It, it works all over the planet. <laughs> Your problems are not <laughs> unique to you. Like I, I know they seem unique, but everybody's got this problem when they go through it. But how do you as a coach, I mean, there's always the part of you that wants to like, take the person and just shake them by the shoulders and be like, stop it. <laughs> but but you, I, I try to phrase it like you have to decide which world you want to live in. Do you want to live in that old world, which you already know doesn't work, or do you want to try this new thing? I mean, how do you get them to be open to that when all they can see is barriers? Yeah, I mean, you really have to dig up under there and find uh, what the barrier is uh, because they're probably facing – uh, some external pressures, they have their, their own delivery dates and they've, you know, um, so a classic one would be, you're just starting up in this agile world, but you've got a ton, a ton of requirements that have already been baked. And there's a decision point of, do you convert them? Do you leave them alone? How do you engage the, how do you engage with the business analysts that, that wrote them or, or whatnot? And there's, there's like these little tiny decision points of shifting over and, and where you can decide whether to go all in or part part way, and and uh, it can get a little sloppy in there uh, if you're not careful. So when you're looking at it and and trying to decide, well, what's the best way to to move forward and not and not have these impediments get in our way? You kind of got to know the impediment, right? So if you don't, then you're absolutely liable to go back and and say, well, it's just a methodology; it doesn't work. So it's just the methodology. These requirements, uh, we're, we've got a bunch of bugs, but we haven't been collaborating around the, the requirements as they are. So we just took the stale ones that were already there because we assumed that they were infallible and, and always right. Do you think that you can coach people or teach people to be, I don't know if it's more mindful or more aware of of how to become kind of present with the fact that while they see this blocker as the thing that's preventing them, that really they're the one putting that blocker in place, that maybe it's not really there, or maybe they're just not not able to see that there's an option of finding another way. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty common, right? So and uh, I guess the truth of the matter is that, that some of them will come along and some won't. Um, you know, ideally, I'd, I'd love to get them all uh, on board and – to see the light. Right. But, um, there will be times where, um, where they're, they're more apt to stay where they are. I think that a lot of, a lot of our bigger corporations kind of teach us to stay in our lane a bit, uh, rather than to break out of it. So it is helping them achieve that mindset of, okay, well, I know it's not healthy for me to stay in my lane anymore. So that's, that's actually not what the organization or, wants. Or it might be healthy so, within the organization, but it's not healthy in terms of career survival. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, I can think of one organization that I've worked with where there was, uh, you know, trying to get cross-functional teams in place. And there was absolutely a, a, a theme from the top that, that went something to this, to the like of, um, well, if you're if you're not working on just your on just your lane, then you're hurting your career, and that's not good for your career. We don't want you doing it. Uh, so the notion of co- you know, collaboration, so uh, cross-functional thinking, teams, yeah, ideas on the weekends. Don't do that in the office, right? And as a matter of fact, you know, not only do you not help testing, but you're a back-end service person, and you can't help out the front end. And and uh, there's there's all kinds of 
of, of wackiness that can you know be embedded in the organization. In that particular one, we had to uh, approach it from the top as well as the bottom, and you know we had the uh, a VP stand up in front of you know a couple hundred people and present this new idea that he had of uh, of helping out your uh, and this was something that he came up with. It, it, it was your shoulder responsibility. So the the thing that uh, the person that is immediately to your left, just, just try to learn how to help them out instead of just staying in your lane and, um, and only doing what you do. Uh, and thus you try to make your team more and more cross-functional. Uh, you know, over time that started to break down the barrier between development and QA between, uh, BAs and everyone else. So, uh, it, it can take a little bit, but you can certainly change that in an organization. Well, and that goes to the cultural change, you know, the massive sea change in the culture that Agile is going to present in that this thing from, you know, I worry about my thing to it's our thing now. Right. Yeah. Which, which is not just thinking about other people, but I think a thing that I always try to help people understand is that it demands that everyone involved really step up their game and engage at a very different level. It's not just do more than think about your own bit. It's, you come prepared to function at a much more senior level than you might otherwise expect. Or, or just as a, as a unit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's the major shift is you're no longer preparing yourself, you're preparing your team. Uh, and, and everyone on the team will benefit from that mindset. So uh, for me, that's, that's a, a worthwhile race to run and, and something that, that has been very helpful to me throughout my career, um, particularly as as a programmer and as uh, you know, whatever else I was doing. So, but it's, it's hard for people to let go of that. Like if you're the, if you're the person that used to be the one who knew everything that was supposed to happen and made sure everybody knew what they were supposed to do, you have to learn to trust people again. Yeah. Trust. Uh, that's a, that's a big, that's a big part of it. Uh, if you're jamming a bunch of new people together all the time, then there's going to be a very low trust factor. So it's another reason why fixed teams uh, that kind of stay together uh, rock the house, you know, so they, they've, uh, they've worked all that stuff out and they've learned to trust each other. Um, so then they have to trust the system that, that's out there, that it's not going to do something that robs them of their team member or, or, uh, or some other silliness. So, so if, if, if you're talking about somebody who, who has kind of seen the light or whatever you want to say, they, they get the value of agile and they're surrounded by, or working with people that don't, um, I mean, it's really, really easy to feel like they're the burden, they're what's holding you back. It's really easy to blame them for stuff. I mean, how do you, either you personally as somebody who's always working with people that are new to this stuff, or how do you coach the people on the teams once they start to get it? What? How can people get better at having more patience or more empathy or even just, you know, sympathy for the people who haven't quite gotten it? Yeah, I think there's a there's a real chance that that someone becomes very cynical, um, and and the and the chance there I've I've operated in both large and small organizations, so this is most dangerous in what I feel mid to kind of large organizations where you've got some locally optimized unit that may have went out and they they tried this scrum thing or they tried this kanban thing uh, or something else that they come up with, uh, and they've got They've got something that works, right? Uh, but the rest of the system around them isn't enabling them to uh, 
to behave how they want to behave. Right. So an example there might be, um, you know, recently, uh, I was with one client and they had, they had an agile technology side, uh, their product side of their house preferred to do things in a more of a waterfall fashion. So it was big funding for the year. And here are all the projects that we're going to bring to the table. And by the way, we've already analyzed this to a certain degree. Um, but then we'll hand it off at your door, you know? So the technology side was able to rapidly deliver, but it might be the wrong thing and it might not be what you want because we're not in a collaborative state. So that's a very frustrating state for the people inside of that agile system. Uh, externally, it might look like from the product management side, it might look like, well, I didn't get what I want again. Um, so there's, there's two sides to that. Um, so really aligning them overall to the, to where they're breaking things down and, and, uh, developing release plans and, and, uh, delivering things to the market and not a yearly stance, but on maybe just first start off at quarterly and then start getting them to more of a rapid pace of how do we find product market fit? Uh, and then all the technology stuff that has to go into that, uh, to make that happen along the way. Then you have a more of a partnership there, uh, between product management and technology. That's just one instance. There's a ton of them, but if you're someone out there that's kind of frustrated at things happening to you, then it's probably more symptomatic that things from a systematic standpoint just aren't set up quite right. Well, so, so let, I want to stick with that for a second. Cause I had a question I wanted to ask and the way you were talking about just gave me a whole other thing, but so we're talking about people who've maybe crossed the chasm, having empathy for those that have not yet. I, I'm wondering if you ever interact with people in a way where you're saying to the people who haven't, you know, made the journey yet, here's how and why you should have empathy for those people or why you should have patience for those people that have already run ahead and they're over there going, where the hell are you? And the folks back here were, this works for us. We're good. <laughs> I mean, can you, can you, cause the agile will become really irritating for them as well. Yeah. Saying uh, it doesn't work. You're like, look at my office. Tell me this doesn't work. It totally works. Yeah. To me, it's all about, yeah, to me, it's all about scale. So the, the people that have ran off and, and done a, uh, you know, ran four miles ahead and left you in the dust. Um, well, I, I just have to ask, is that a healthy system? And is that a healthy collection of people? Okay. Yeah. So it's generally... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you, you go ahead because you're going right where I was going to ask you the next question. Yeah. So, so the, the answer to me is generally no, or maybe you have that bimodal system where you've accepted that some of it may not be in, in an agile environment. Um, but the the person that's way far ahead is going to lack empathy for those behind. You know, it's kind of, hey, we're out here doing bleeding edge stuff, and they have to really evaluate: are are they being effective in the in the entire system? Are they aligned to the uh, strategy of the organization? Um, there's a tendency for, for those types of people to be really, um, and, it's, and it's, a great, it's a great thing, so I'm not downplaying this. They have a lot of ownership, uh, so they, they worship the, the code that they breathe in and the products that they, that they put out on the market. Uh, now, that can be a bit myopic in a big organization where you're not aligned. And let's say we want to do several different things across three different product lines and have them all tell a cohesive story. And that, and that crosses a couple of different 
uh, release streams or, or releases, then, then you might have an issue uh, where you're not aligning to the organization. That's all can come out in conversation. The thing that to remember there is that the person that's the trailblazer can have tendencies to, to be a little bit uh, myopic at times. So uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice well, about that one. But... <laughs> so, so, all right, let me ask you the, the thing that I'm, I'm kind of became curious about in the last few minutes while we were talking. I'm wondering if you have ever seen in a transformation process a conversation happen with all the parties involved that discusses the fact that, okay, a bunch of you guys are going to go running down the path and you're going to get to the other side. And you're going to be like, why are those other people? And the people who are at the back who are kind of like, you know, maybe not even walking it, um, they're happy where they are. They're going to be irritated by the folks that have run ahead. But does anybody ever have that conversation and say, look, like you said, this may become a dysfunctional system for a while we need to be mindful of how we can engage to have a healthier way of interacting as we go through this process. Yeah, you know, I find that most people do run pretty quickly after you put the right structures in place and, and govern it properly. Then, then it's uh, and and I don't mean big governance. I mean lightweight governance to, right. that they can use to guide them along the way. Um, I find that most people take it and run with it, and and they're really happy. But then there are some that that just don't want to change. At all, like or they, if you they have. Decide a, you're going to do bimodal. I mean, maybe you. Yeah. Maybe so maybe they have that. a better fit in the in the other side of the system, right? Uh, but you'll you'll definitely hear it from the teams that hey, we've got something wrong. Uh, you know, this isn't this particular piece isn't working, and we've got this very clear picture of of a, of a team in mind that it happened to you last, uh, where you know they there's inevitably some um, some retrospective or something that comes to brings it to the forefront of, Hey, I'm not happy, you know, and it'll generally be a person or two yeah. uh, on the team and just getting them to be honest about that and just either help them through it or find a, a better home. That's, that's more suitable in the organization uh, is a, is a great thing. You know, if, if they don't, you know, too often people have, have problems with rapid change, uh, so if you are coming from a a heavy waterfall system, then you have all the time in the world to do your your UI design. And now we've got you know time boxes and and what are what are these sprint things and and whatnot. So uh, that can be very disruptive to their natural to their natural cadence. But in a good way, we've got a point to it. But it may not be for everybody either. So, um, but I find that that's a small minority. Uh, overall of the people that that just don't don't want to move most people like to challenge themselves and get get their career path going again because uh, most of those people are kind of you know relatively stale in their development growth and i guess this is the challenge of the transformation in general and it's kind of leading me towards a question that i want to ask you but it's hard to unseat people who are in that viewpoint because they don't perceive a problem. So why would they be open to change? Yeah. And, and maybe I've said, so I don't, I don't really think that it's, that it's too difficult to unseat the, that overall, but it takes time of being in there with them and living through it. Seeing yeah, they probably have some really great stuff in there too yeah. that they've come up with. So it's not all, 
you know, um, it's not all throwaway. You don't just throw it all away. And I mean, that's, that's probably an anti-pattern itself is to throw everything that you've ever known away and, and go towards this. Um, so approaching it with respect to what you've already learned, but then also being open to something new is a very critical part uh, for those people. I've yeah. worked, I, I hear you on the 18 years though, because I, I worked in healthcare for a long time and, you know, you absolutely had that that mentality, uh, the more regulation you have, it seems to be the more people have been around for a long, long time. Um, and they, and they generally know a ton about the product. They know a ton about the systems and then all the nook and crannies and where things go wrong. Those are great people to have along the way. If you can can, balance them out with the opposite. Yeah. Well, they can, you can help them see, okay, we, we really need to isolate the complexity. We need to uh, figure out what parts of the system aren't stable that need to be stable. And, and, uh, there's, there's some great things that they can do, but you're at the same time, you're not just blaming, blaming them. You're also partnering with them to help them see a little bit of a different way. It's, I guess it's the difference between going all in right up front and then helping someone along the way with the constraints. And you put a bit of pressure from the system to behave a certain way, like, well, we've got to do two week commitments, right. Or whatnot. So this is leading me to the thing that I wanted to ask you. And this is kind of came up on a conversation I had during a podcast with Russ a few weeks ago. Um, We were talking about change and how difficult change is in an organization and started to wonder about whether or not there's a whip limit for the amount of change an organization can handle at any given time and whether anybody pays attention to that. Like how much change can be introduced before this thing just starts to kind of topple over sideways like where's the where's the place where it's a tolerable amount of change or a tolerable tolerable amount of push that can create the openings that you want to get to without having people just shut down yeah i, I do believe that there's a whip limit to the amount of change as well as the duration that you that you're introducing yeah, change so fatigue as well yeah i, I mean i i see organizations that are I mean, it's the same thing as constantly reorging right and Unfortunately, there are organizations that constantly reor, and they figure out, you know, what's what's the new <laughs> say, structure. You know, for the people yeah. in those organizations, it's not so bad because you know well, that if you just wait it out, you're going to be okay in a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, that that's <laughs> another form of complacency that we can yeah. talk about some other day. But uh, you know, the the waited out, uh, and that's that's exactly what that type of organization will, will cause. Is well, I, I just have to sit here long enough and. And then yeah. this will go away, you know, yeah. then there'll be another change. But that's that's a fatigued organization then, you know, like you said. Um, I tend to like to focus on, you know, one to two change efforts, primarily one with, you know, we've still got to deliver pro- our products to the market. We've still got to uh, innovate. We've still got to do all these things. But at the same time, we've got this change and we need to, we need you to be masterful in this, in this area, or at least learn the ropes to this area, um, to, to get you to a place where you can master it. Um, cause you don't want to be, um, I mean, this is going to sound a little bad, but hopefully not too bad. You don't want to be learning agile forever. You want to be solving your problems with agile for a long time. Sure. But you want to be innovating and trying new and different things along the way. I think regardless of agile or not, as long as you're, you're delivering value and, and learning. Yeah. So, so I, I used to say that a scrum master's job was to create a, or help a team become high performing. 
Michael James said he thought that they should become a learning team. Look, regardless of what practice you're using, their focus should be learning and getting better all the time. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with either one. So um, maybe a, a learning team is a high-performing team as well. So, um, you know, or eventually they'll get there. You know, kind of the, the retrospective mindset of uh, if you have two-week uh, intervals and we've got 26 of those intervals per year, we have 26 uh, places where we can do some heavy in-depth learning uh, about our team and how it functions. So. So let me let me ask you one more question about this. Going back to the, we've talked about how whether you are sort of at the cutting edge or you're on the sort of tail end of things, having empathy for the other side. Do yep. you think that there is a need to have a certain degree of self empathy, like if? Yeah, kind of like give me give yourself a break. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, have, have some sort of awareness of where you are and your own reaction and how you're feeling about that, because that's you become frustrated with someone else, but maybe there's a point at which you have to just say, as a team, we're frustrated with the, with the organization. And that is an okay thing because it's part of the change, right? And it, well, sometimes it can be okay, but uh, let me try to break that down a little bit. There's, I think the best agilist is one that's going to be self-aware and that has a high degree of certainty about who they are and those around them. So they're very introspective in there and they can also be aware of what's going on around them and, and tell what the changes as an organization are, is going through and how that's going to affect the organization as a whole. Okay. So they can, they can anticipate, they can do all those things. That makes a really great person to, to have as an agile uh, advocate as well, uh, or as a coach. So in, in my opinion, um, so for those, you know, you do have to realize that you can only do so much with, with what's around you. And at some point you're going to have to seek, uh, to, to maybe get out of your comfort zone and, and challenge the system itself. So that can be a dangerous spot or it can be one that, that you can see as a challenge that may take a little while. If you're an internal change agent as an external change agent, there's a natural pressure for us as well as our clients to, to make a change happen. There's kind of like a, uh, an inherent, you know, they're spending money for you. So, um, you want to, yeah, we, we, we want to give them value and they want to get value. Right. So, right. uh, so from that perspective, there's in the organization, there's kind of a known thing going on. Um, as an internal coach, I found it to be, um, it can be frustrating at times, certainly of, of, uh, of trying to make a change and trying to see it happen. And then you can kind of see blocks go up along the way or things that don't play out exactly how you want them to. So, uh, forgive me, there's a helicopter around. Uh, yeah, but along the way that can be frustrating. You do have to kind of give yourself a break and say that you're not there to change the world. If you, if you try to flex too much, then you'll probably be asked to leave that world, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, I think and, so. and the frustration and, you know, regardless of which side you're on, the frustration is a healthy part of driving that change. If people weren't frustrated, it would never Nothing would happen. Yeah, you know, I, I used to say that uh, there was an agile coach that I used to work with, and and he and I would frequently get into you know debates over over you know agile coach things, metrics, and right. this and this and this. But uh, I used to tell him that, man, I really hate that you drug me into this conversation again. But 
generally, if, if I'm frustrated, I'm going to assume that that means that one of us is learning. And I don't know if it's you or me, but well, one of and, us is learning. Just, just to go along with it, you can't – to say that somebody drug you into a conversation is also <laughs> placing yourself back in that victim role. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because yeah. He, can, he can try to engage you, but you're the one that, that engages right back. Right, yeah. So it's – and you can't come into it from a um, – um, you know, if I were stale in that, what that might look like is – well, I'll just wait for you to go on to another topic and you'll figure it out, right? But, you know, not to be... Get tired of not punching to, me in the head and go punch someone else. Yeah, right. But the, the engaging, you know, the engaging agilist will seek to understand. And, and even if it's, if you have to bite your tongue a little bit to, to uh, you know, express the things that you want to express and give to the conversation rather than just let it go by and, and really give to that other person as well as yourself. I found that, you know, most of the time that I was uh, frustrated with that, with that individual that I was, uh, I was also, it was about 50, 50, whether I was learning or they were learning. So yeah, that's, I mean, and that's sort of what I was saying about the frustration is a very healthy sign. Right. Yeah. Being challenged and either it's, it sharpens and strengthens your, uh, your ideals or it, it makes you adopt better ones. What advice do you have for somebody who is working in an organization, whether they're on the, like the cutting edge or the sort of the, the tail end of things, what advice do you have for them in terms of developing greater patience or empathy um, to be able to be more okay with the changes that are taking place and the fact that their work environment may have become disruptive and may stay that way for a long time? Yeah, well, I, I, it depends on the context of that, but, um, you know, there's certainly a broader, I would encourage agilists in general just to look at the broader system of things that are going on around them. Uh, seek to understand, um, you know, early on in, in my career, I certainly had my focus on being a, uh, just a manager and, and trying to work in this agile system and trying to worry about my, my own crew. Uh, and then turning that to an external viewpoint of, well, what's going around me on around me in the organization and how, you know, why are we experiencing the things that we're experiencing in the first place? So chasing it back, up through the organization and sometimes you can do something about it and sometimes you can't yeah. uh, for those that, that find it. I, I would never accept that. I, that I just can't, I, I guess overall, but, um, and, and that in itself is a really big deal. Yeah. To be, to, but, to be at the point where you're willing to say, I'm not going to say that this can't happen. I'm not going to say that things can't change. I'm not going to play the victim role anymore. That's a yeah. huge, that's a big transition by itself. It, it is, and, and but it is the healthy transition. It's the only one that makes sense to me, um, because otherwise you're at a place where you're divorcing yourself from the organization overall. Yeah, and that's not a, that's not a healthy thing. So, trying to look for how can we help help each other? How do I help the organization? If this is blocking me, let me either seek to understand why it's blocking me and why it's important uh, from a systematic viewpoint. And then maybe I can do something about it. Maybe it's a good thing though, organizational wise. So yeah. maybe there's something that I'm not, I'm not getting, um, you know, certainly not other, everyone would kind of get why someone would want to do a yearly funding cycle. Um, yeah. that's, that's something I seek to break down, but there's reasons why people arrived at that conclusion yeah, to begin with. That's <laughs> right. I to respect both sides of it. Yeah. Cool. So, so both are good. All right. So if people want to find you, if they want to talk about this further, what's the best way for people to track you down? Uh, yeah. Check me out at Tim at leadingagile.com. Uh, you can always uh, 
email me there. Uh, there's Tim S wise at Tim S wise on Twitter. Okay. And, uh, and I'm always, uh, very happy to, to hunt around LinkedIn as well. So cool. uh, a lot of, a lot of people, uh, chase me down on LinkedIn for questions. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. For All right. Thank you. And good luck with your new team member. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Bye. Man. Bye.